This is Air Commander Starscream, and you are listening to Half Measures. Uh, Half Measures? Sounds like Megatron's battle strategy. <laughs> This episode of Half Measures is brought to you by Time Travelling Team. I'm Paddy. Each week, Paul and Dan do a fantastic job guiding us through the wide world of movies and TV shows. Meanwhile, my co-host Trisha and I are taking a trip through the time vortex and discussing the wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey world of Doctor Who. Starting back from the earliest adventure in 1963, we're discussing the stories, the Doctor, the companions and the villains of this iconic show. You can find us at Time Team on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Now sit back, relax and enjoy as Paul and Dan do their thing. Half measure style. Welcome in to another episode of Half Measures. Thank you for tuning in. Whether this is your first time or you're a regular listener, no matter where you are, whether it's a quarter of a mile away or halfway across the world, you'll always be family. And speaking of Fano, here's Dan Whiting. Kia ora, Dan. Kia Paul. I really appreciate how you're really hot on these uh, Fast and the Furious F9 memes all about family. You've been firing them through to me quick and fast, and I appreciate it. Many of our listeners will be cultured, Dan, and may not actually even have recognised that that was a Fast and Furious quote from the legendary uh, Dom Toretto. But um, we'll actually come to that in our mailbag section, because uh, the, there is quite a bit of Fast and Furious news this week. This, this, this F9 has really taken off, right? It's real. There's so many family memes that it's almost like ridiculously comical, and I can't get enough of it. So I appreciate you doing the Lord's work and sharing those memes. Good on you. You're welcome. Meantime, Dan, why don't we cut the chase, get straight into it? Why don't you tell us what you've been watching this week? Well, poorly, poorly, poorly. What have I been watching? So I, um, I've i been watching the usual sort of continuing with Animal Kingdom, continuing with Friends, sort of watching a little bit here and there. But there is one TV show that I have watched, and you know how I hype things up. Mm. Yellowstone, get amongst it. Cobra Kai, get amongst it. Black Summer, get amongst it. Well, I've got another get amongst it for you. So over the weekend, I watched – this is on Apple TV – a TV program called C-S-E-E. And so this stars Jason Momoa. And this, I, I don't know why I've been sleeping on this ball. This was fantastic. And I have been thinking about this TV show from the moment it ended. And I cannot wait for season two. So the basic premise of this show is that it's, it's 600 years in the future. It's kind of a dystopian future, post-apocalyptic type thing. And... For the last 200 or so years, um, humans have been born blind. And wow. all of a sudden, so so there's basically all these like kind of, it's gone back to uh, kind of like medieval-ish -ish type times where there's kind of warring tribes. There's um, a, a queen that kind of looks over the, um, over sort of these various tribes. I think there's about 200,000 people left on left in the world so it's quite a, a grim premise mm -hmm. and no one can see and then all of a sudden there's these these two babies that are born and they can see and so the whole story is basically trying to it's it's the quest to kind of get these uh these children who sort of that there's some time jumps in there and they get a bit older basically traverse the lands get them to where they need to go to for the story 
And it took me an episode or two to kind of, am, am I about the show? Am I having a good time? Am I loving it? And I think it was because I couldn't quite deal with everyone being blind because you know there's some pretty hardcore like Game of Thrones style fight scenes in this there's all sorts of like traversing the landscape they do and bearing in mind that everyone's blind but once you kind of get past that and kind of give them the benefit of the doubt that they've probably got super senses but like Daredevil this was a, a fantastic watch I can't recommend it enough I'm a little bit sad that it's on Apple TV because that's probably cut down the number of people they can watch it straight away but if you know someone with Apple TV, if you can get your hands on this TV show, I want you to watch it. Season two is coming out because I want more. It's a fantastic universe and I'm so intrigued by it all. Fascinating. And uh, this is the first thing I spotted was it was Apple because there's a few things on there now that I want to watch. There's the one where they go into space. I don't know what it is. Something about space looks really good. There's the there's the one with Steve Carell. There's a few things that like... The, uh, the morning show, yeah, Pete yeah. Lasso. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, servant. Oh, Look, there's there's a few things that's making me think, am I going to have to dive into the Apple world? I feel a little bit dirty just saying that I don't like it. But anyway, back on topic, what a great premise. Um, like, you know, that far in the future and humans can't see. I mean, I have no idea what that world might look like. No pun intended. I really, I really would love to see that. Um, so... So I'm really interested. I see the guy who directs it, Stephen Knight. He's he's got a great back catalogue. He's one of the creators of Picky Blinders. He did the Girl on the Spider's Web. Uh, there's a whole bunch of things he's done. Eastern Promises. Um, yeah, there's a lot here that I'm excited about. Yeah, it's um it's really good. Like so, Jason Momoa plays the the leader of a tribe, and his name is Baba Voss, and he is a uh, I know you, you are not really Game of Thrones fans, but if you think of Carl Drogo from Game of Thrones, he is a, like he's a kind-hearted but absolute unit in this TV show. And he looks after these kids and just like the, the way they do the fight scenes and the way they kind of um, coordinate their attacks is just so fascinating. They, you know, if you're trying to get someone's attention, like that, they, they obviously use sound a lot to travel around and there's all this like clicking that'll happen. And, you know, if you want someone to kind of like, you know, follow you and get him behind. Um, I've been trying some of that over the weekend. Hasn't quite worked out well. I'm not getting much response to the clicks. <laughs> funny enough. Um, yeah, funny enough. But yeah, I, I don't. I remember seeing the show a little while ago and thinking, ah, oh, I don't know if it's for me. I'm not sure. But I honestly, I've had such a great time, and especially after the hype of watching Black Summer and kind of being like, what am I going to watch next? Mm. I this is only eight episodes. I binge the hell out of it over two days and. That, that's pretty much what I've been watching apart from the stuff that we've been watching together. Amazing. Well, uh, the photos have a real great look about them and that real bleak post-apocalyptic. It reminds me of like the the road, the Book of Eli. It's got that real, I, I love that look. I've always been into those shows. So this one will, I think, draw me in. Uh, the other Apple show I was thinking of, Dan, was for All Man, All Mankind. That was the, uh, the, the space the space show, as I so eloquently put it. Maybe uh, it's time to do a, a, a trial for a short period of time on Apple TV. It could be. I kind of have to, have to think about this. I'm not sure how I feel about it all, to be honest. Um, so so that's what you've watched other than the stuff we've watched together? Yeah, so we've watched quite a bit of stuff together this week, which is why I'm coming in a little bit short for my own individual watching. That's all good, because I am the same. 
it's you know we're still deep into these European Championships. It's been another emotional week as an England football fan, but I can't talk about it because I still can't quite find the words. It's been quite a ride. Um, but a couple of things that I have started watching, Dan, uh, you'll be pleased to know. I'm not going to talk about them this week, but just so you know, uh, recommendations from you. We started Black Summer, the the zombie apocalypse show you talked about last week. Very invested. I love that differentiation from the the Walking Dead. That's good. I'm I'm glad it hooked you because I think it's one of those shows where I think as a, a fan of the the zombie universe, you'll know straight away, right? Like, is this a show for me or is it not? Yeah. And so, how how many episodes are you in? Only a couple, so we're, we're still quite quite fresh. But um, so far, so good and. Um, yeah, I'll talk about it next time, but I will say just even the, the direction, the cinematography, the way it's done, I already, I think I actually prefer that style to The Walking Dead, which is a big call after just two episodes, but there's something about the way it's filmed I love. I, I couldn't agree more. It's so beautifully put together. And actually, I've got a, a correction from, I guess, last week's episode. Like You asked me the question about whether this was connected to... Um, Z Nation. Z Nation. Yeah. And uh, I did a little bit of Googling on that, and apparently it's some type of sort of prequel into that universe. Okay. Um, but I think uh, Z Nation is quite a, a different style TV show because uh, the little bits I've seen, it's a bit more comical from memory, so I'm not quite sure how hard and fast that connection is. But either way, you can go straight into this um, with no prior knowledge to any other zombie TV shows. Nice. The other, the second show we started watching that you also recommended, uh, Vice Principals. Very good. Very funny. Very much a show for me. Very much for anyone who loves Danny McBride. And again, I'll I'll talk about that um, once we've finished that season. We, we we're about eight episodes in on that, and uh, that's our, our palate cleanser. You know, our, our last thing at night to watch. It's uh, it's really good, Dan. It's basically. It, it is Kenny Powers, right? Like it's Kenny Powers in a slightly different vein. Like, it, you know, it's, it's so good. Uh, I think even knowing that you're going to talk about it next week is is making me want to maybe refresh myself on it. There's, there's too many parallels about how I conduct myself in the workplace. But um, yeah, we'll talk about that next week. The, the, the two things I have to talk about this week. Firstly, uh, continuing my journey in the Hunger Games uh, with Mockingjay Part 1. Um, so this is the third movie in the, the Hunger Games uh, franchise, and this movie has really moved the story along for sure. We're now so far removed from the actual Hunger Games themselves, and I guess that you know that being the premise for what drew so many people in, and, and it may have been the same with the book. I don't know, but um, you know now the real story here is actually about these these people who are being ruled over. Their, you know, their, their cultures are being, you know, repressed and their freedoms taken away. And that's the heart of this story. And I guess it always was there in the very first movie, but the, the focus was so much on, oh, these people, you know, they've got to do these activities to survive. And, but really, we're seeing the truth of it. And I, I've really enjoyed that. There are so many parallels for me in terms of other movies. I mean, particularly, you know, thinking Star Wars, like, the, you know, the Rebellion versus the Empire, but all on a planet scale rather than a universe scale. Like, I don't know how things have got like this. I would love a prequel to see how the capital came to amass its power, its wealth and its weaponry and and all of that. And um, the, the ratings and the reviews of this have gone right down. 
And I wonder if if maybe that's um, you know people have started to rate it lower because it's not the Hunger Games per se. You know, it's not like that first movie at all. But uh, for me, I I find it more compelling. Uh, so I would actually. I would. I wouldn't say it's a better movie than the first two, but I, I've I found it way more intriguing, and I'm now really hyped up for the Mockingjay Part Two because, of course, I haven't seen it before. Yeah, I think I remember at the time when this came out, it was kind of a a similar thing, right? Like because I think when the first couple of movies, it's so heavily focused on Katniss, mm. and you really sort of cheering for her and I think you know she even has a bit of a, a tonal shift right in these later movies and there's such a it is such a, a bigger focus on the wider ecosystem of, of stuff that happens around her and in, in the world that she uh, populates and I think as a going in for a rewatch it's probably a little bit of a of an easier easier one to digest but I think when back in the day going straight into a movie theater expecting Katniss Everdeen to basically go ham on um, everyone and basically clean up and it not quite been that was probably a little bit disappointing for people mm. I do remember in the books uh, books two and three sort of like are, are so different from the first book they're, they're almost kind of different things but I thought for a while there there was actually talk of a of a prequel potentially being made oh wow that, w- that would be genuinely fascinating because they they reference it so often about you know the the factors to why the Hunger Games exist and and what had happened, but what happened before that? I'd love to I'd love to go go deeper in on that. So yeah, yeah, because there is a book called the the Ballad um, the Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, and that's a prequel to the Hunger Games. But I I thought there was talk of mm. actually turning that into either a, a TV series or a movie, but I haven't heard anything about that for a long time. Oh, fascinating! Oh, I'd love to hear anyone who's read that book just as to what they think about it. But the you know once again. Great, great directing, great cinematography, great effects. The Jennifer Lawrence is great again. As to is is Liam Hensworth, who has a bit more of a, a role in this one uh, as Hawthorne. Um, Woody Harrelson and Elizabeth Banks again, just really, really good. The guy who plays Peter, I can never um, think of his name, but he has a real good moment. He gets taken and well, he, he sorry, he doesn't get taken. He get, he's getting brainwashed, and they eventually rescue him. And there's a really good jump out of your seat moment where he's sort of back and he's actually been sort of like programmed to to kill on site. And it's you just don't see it coming. It's genuinely, genuinely shocked me and gave me a bit of a fright. But I am going to... Oh, you go. I was going to say Josh Hutchinson. Is his That's name. the guy. Yeah, yeah. I, I've not really seen him much, but he's, he's really good in this. I am, though, as I am prone to do every now and then, uh, I do like to slate someone every once in a while. And today, Dan, I'm going to slate Donald Sutherland, I, I don't know what it is, but he's. I've noticed that he's one of those sort of. You know, he's a classic actor. He's been around forever. He's got a great back catalogue, but I haven't found him overly convincing in this. And then I started to think, when has he, he specifically, ever convinced me in anything? And I don't know that he has. He's always been okay. He's always, like I say, he's been in heaps of great movies. But when I think about it, Donald Sutherland. Was he awesome in anything? I don't know. I'm putting it out there. I know it's a bit. You know. It's funny. It's funny you say that because I do feel like there is a certain like old boys network of actors who kind of get these gigs and they kind of their name alone probably draws in a certain amount of 
uh, viewers, but but I think you're right. Like I think, and it's not just limited people to people like him. There's there's a few that they kind of they turn up, they do the job, but it's not necessarily a game changing experience for anyone. Yeah, I feel like he's got a great voice, but uh, I enjoyed him in Space Cowboys. That's that's the main memory I have of him. <laughs> Space Cowboys is the best thing I can take. Anyway, great movie, uh, another good cliffhanger, um, and yeah, uh, I'm now going into the this next movie watching it for the first time so they're genuinely excited about that amazing and then the final thing for me this week dan i went back in time as i'm prone to do and i watched the jigsaw man which is a 1983 uh movie about an mi6 defector who has his appearance altered by by plastic surgery by the kgb and he's then sent back to Britain to retrieve top secret documents. And so there's a lot of people in this movie from the James Bond movie franchise. And it's, I, I don't know, but I would imagine it would be the director who's managed to swing that. So Terence Young, he's the director and he's the guy who directed Dr. No. He directed Thunderball and he also directed my number one Bond of all time from Russia with Love. And so him as the director and that that plot that I just read out, that was my draw card coming into this. Add in the fact you've got Michael Caine, Lawrence Olivier, um, there's Charles Gray who played Blofeld in Bond. Um, there's um, Vladek Shabel who played Kronstein in From Russia with Love. There's a whole bunch of other people in there as well. But Dan, it never comes together at all. It feels disjointed from start to finish. And I thought I was going to have, you know how I found, uh, what did I watch the other week? Um, the, the, the the Diamond Mercenaries. I always think I'm going to find a little gem, you know, and be able to say, I oh, go check this out. Just avoid this one. It's um, nothing works well. It's funny because I would have thought just hit by the mere fact that there's Michael Caine in this movie, it's probably going to be a classic. But that's a shame. It is. And it's a real missed opportunity. I've, I have done a little bit of reading it just on IMDb and there's all sorts of things about budget and, and all the rest of it that just fell apart. But so much is terrible. The music, the dramatic music effects, bearing in mind this is the 80s, it's like a synthesizer. It's really jolting. I would liken the music, the dramatic music effects to something like maybe Colin Baker's years in the in the TARDIS for Doctor Who and I, and I know there are some Doctor Who fans who listen to this podcast and I say this with no offence because it works in that show if anything it adds to the charm of that show for that time but in a movie I couldn't stand it the acting outside of the main cast is terrible the effects the stunts are terrible the plot is fascinating the story is just doesn't work I yeah I feel like when uh when Paul Canal gives it a, a thumbs down, you know it's not good, you know? Because yeah. <laughs> the standards for me are pretty, when it comes to movies, I'll watch anything, right? But um, yeah. I've got the spreadsheet, Paul, with recommendations from you, and they've got they've got schools all over the place, you know? Yeah. Well, this one, I get one gun, the Kimbo. I dip my hand in the old lolly jar, not knowing what I get. Um, and this one, this one tasted a little sour, Dan. Oh. Not good. No one likes a sour lolly. I did appreciate, speaking of the lolly jar, that now that's been referenced in our Discord channel, the lolly jar. Yeah. And that was great. It's great. I feel like Amazon Prime should be paying us some sort of royalty for this because, you know, they're getting a lot of coverage for movies that I'm sure only three other people in the world alongside myself are actually watching at this point. Nice. But yeah, that's what I've been watching this week, Dan, apart from the stuff we've watched together. So should we dive across? 
Yeah, shall we start with uh, Star Wars The Bad Batch again? Indeed, and as always, uh, do use the timings in the show notes uh, to skip any shows that you're not interested in hearing about that Dan and I are going to talk about, because the first one uh, is, yes, yeah, Season 1, Episode 10 of Star Wars The Bad Batch. Uh, the the ever-wordy synopsis this week is that The Batch has their ideology challenged. I swear someone... Uh, Someone at Lucasfilm or IMDb is just deliberately trying to wind us up with these, uh, these, these, these synopsis. But um, Dan, I'll, I'll just quickly say I thought this was a good episode. Although after the quality of the last four episodes being really high for me, I thought it was a little less rewarding. Maybe. What about you? Yeah, this reminded me again of a, a classic Clone Wars episode where we're off to do a mission. I think and. It, sort of has an impact on the story but equally you could not watch the episode and it would be fine i think the difference here is they actually um had a couple of nods to the wider story to keep it moving so um on this particular episode they make the call to leave omega behind um because it's it's unsafe and that sort of made me instantly sort of think about the mandalorian and when he leaves um Grogu behind because actually we've got to get serious for a bit and it was interesting on this mission when Hunter was um well Omega go and do this and like you know she she wasn't there to help out and then obviously the the flip side of Omega completely owning everyone at what's the name of that Star Wars chess game Paul um with a oh I I genuinely don't know thanks for calling yeah. out on that well done <laughs> I just thought you'd know it. Uh, sorry. So the one where the, um, you know, you never want to beat a Wookiee at that game. And she obviously cleans up. She's a, a master of strategy. So I thought it was, in, in, in doing so, cleared the Bad Batch's debt, um, which was which was really good. So it means we've kind of freed up. I'm kind of, I guess, conscious now that we're, we're 10 episodes in. Um, I'm still in the camp of, actually, this is awesome. I'm really keen to see where we're heading with these uh, next six episodes. Um, I thought there was some interesting stuff in there with Echo, um, particularly, you know, not being too happy about going to help out the Separatists on a mission. And I thought what was interesting is that it actually showed, even though he didn't get a lot of sort of airtime to sort of voice his opinions, I thought they did quite a good job of making him look unimpressed about going on that mission. Yeah. And I wonder whether that's going to sort of come back and, and play out a little bit further. No, I agree. I, I really liked the what you touched on there, the dynamic of the, the Bear Batch, who, of course, previously clones for the Republic, now not wanting to help out uh, a separatist world who – who we as the audience have of the Clone Wars, as you say in particular, have often seen the Separatists as the bad guys. But now, of course, they're under Imperial rule. Suddenly, none of the Separatists actually seem that bad and we're starting to empathise and sympathise with their situation. So I really like that side of it. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think it was uh, um, the whole sort of like, I think, um, Senator Avi saying, like, it, it reminds me of an episode we've seen uh, in the Clone Wars, I can't quite think of the name of it, but it, it has very sort of similar tones of um, going to sort of help these other parties. But yeah, I thought it, it was a, it was an okay episode for me. I think the challenge being is we've just had a couple of really strong ones. Yeah. Also, 
I'm not sure if you know this or not, but in 1972, a crack commando unit was sent to prison by a military court for a crime they didn't commit. These men promptly escaped from a maximum security stockade to the Los Angeles underground. Today, still wanted by the government, they survive as soldiers of fortune. If you have a problem, if no one else can help, and if you can find them, maybe you can hire the A-team. Now, this show, Dan, was labelled by uh, at White Star Prime, a listener from Palmerston North, uh, as being the A-team in space. And I, I kind of wrote it off, but there are episodes like this where these guys were basically, you know, sought out to go go on this mission and go rescue this person, which of course they did. And there is there is something to be said about this show, definitely having moments, especially, I wouldn't call it a filler episode, but when they want to just a mission episode, maybe in between some story acts, where it is going to feel a little bit like um, the A-Team and not just that, but of course we've got Wrecker, who you could argue is perhaps a bit of a B.A. Barakas. So there's, there's, there's a few things in there, but look... Obviously, I'm just just making a, a a crude remark just for the for the sake of it, but um, I I do take the point now. I think it's a, it's a good shout, um, and the, it does have that vibe on occasion. Uh, the other thing I wanted to mention is uh, Sid, who um, is obviously sort of dealing out these bounties, and I loved that she called. Um, uh, God, I've already forgotten his name. She called him Goggles instead S- of Scopes. Yeah. Y- y- <laughs> Crosshair? <laughs> no, no, yeah, because we've got like, so we've got scopes and then we've got goggles. It's so good. I think uh, Sid would make a perfect addition to this podcast. <laughs> She's making a real half measured um, effort with with her naming. I mean, yeah, it's no better than what you did. No, I, this was an entertaining episode, as you say, and I guess that's what we're here for. It, wa- it wasn't as action packed as the last sort of trilogy Um uh, it was, you know, infiltrate and extract. Um, the the infiltration process was was pretty good. I thought the extraction was was better. I loved hearing uh, the voice of Alexander Siddig as as the senator who was taken captive. He played um, Rajal Ghul in Gotham, and also um, Doctor Bashir in Deep Space Nine, and a, a whole bunch of other things. He was he was pretty good. But um, yeah, not too many complaints. Nothing to write home about. Um, I probably wouldn't watch it again if I was to rewatch a, a bunch of episodes. Fair cool. Shall we move on over to Rick and Morty? Indeed. Uh, season five, episode three. A Rick convenient Mort. Reduce, reuse, bro. Might be too late. That's the synopsis for this one. Um, Dan, over to you. I am loving season five so so much i think what i really appreciated about this um this episode in particular and in fact all of them is like just so much crazy stuff happens that they actually don't like they don't care about the wider story now they're just kind of like well they do care but they just have so much fun in each episode so much wild stuff happens I absolutely love the callback to the Planeteers. Mm. I remember watching that after school. Mm. I feel like they missed an opportunity to make some jokes about the the fifth ring heart. Um, that would have been a, a, a great callback. I love that Mort ended up in a relationship with the um, the female version of Captain Planet. Uh, it was this was a, a lot of fun. I love that Rick and Summer got to go off on a on a mission and they were basically sleeping their way around the universe. It, it, it was a lot of fun and lots of laughs were had. Yeah. The, the dynamic of, of Rick and Summer together off on the adventure is very different. And, you know, the show is Rick and Morty, but um, I think mixing it up every once in a while was great. I would really, 
I would pay good money for a season of Rick and Jerry going off on a on a series of adventures, just the two of them, because Jerry just continues, voiced by the immaculate Chris Parnell from Archer. He's uh he's turning into a real favourite for me. Um there was you know, as you say, based on that Captain Planet and the Planeteers nineties cartoon brought back some memories, uh, very much a Mickey take in there. There was a, this episode did have elements of of sadness and loneliness uh, in there as well, because you know it was all about you know love lost and it, so I noticed that the ratings of this one came down quite a bit from you know it's not a, it's no longer up there in the nines out of ten and I wonder if that was part of it, but um it was still very very funny. Also, I love the fact that Jerry <laughs> has an egg plate and that that egg plate gets broken and I mean I don't even know what an egg plate is, but just just amazing. It's- I'm I'm with you. I'm giving more Jerry. Jerry's funny every time you see him. I don't know if you remember there was an episode once where he was just playing a game on his iPad where he was like popping balloons. Like <laughs> so good. So there's, there's a spin-off show there, right? Just just the the Jerry show. Even when uh, when Jerry and uh, Beth were separated and Jerry was living alone, like, I would watch a spin-off on just single Jerry, just trying to trying to navigate the modern world. So good. It really is. And Rick Sanchez uh, was drunk for some of this episode. And so we uh, we got the opportunity to have Justin Roiland bring back the, the drunk belchy Rick voice, which is perhaps one of the top 10 voices of all time. Indeed. Indeed. Well, Paul, there's a, a, a special review for us coming up. Um, should we move on to that? Indeed. We're going into the seventh and final season of the US cop drama Bosch. Yeah, so this is a, a show that, like Paul, you've been watching uh, for a lot longer than I have, and you actually put me onto this show that we, we've talked about a few times here on the pod. And this, as Paul said, is the final season. So we've uh, both watched it all, and we thought we'd bring you our thoughts on this is a, a shorter season than our previous ones. Normally we're sort of at 10 episodes, we only had eight episodes. What did you think of the way they wrapped up the story in this season? Absolutely superb. What a what a way to finish this this show, this final season for me. Uh I would argue straight away is the strongest. Uh it tied up so many loose ends and story plot points. It has huge implications for um some of the characters moving forward because you know, as we'll talk about, I'm sure there's this this spin-off show coming. But um Bosch Bosch for me, I've just always enjoyed it. I love the fact that it's this this straight up there's no glamour. It's almost um it's almost unfashionable, you know. The office looks terrible. Um it's so basic. And yeah, I I bet, I have no idea, but I bet it's actually quite realistic. It's so gritty and it takes you through the paces of police work and all the all the grind the grind work that they have to do. And and this seventh season is just really, really strong. I I'm curious, Dan, where you because you know, how often do you get the chance to say that about shows that the the final season is the strongest. That's what I'm coming in with. What about you? Yeah, I'm with you. I think this was probably the, dare I say it, the best season of Bosch that I've ever watched. And I just, I as soon as I started this, I didn't want to stop. And I, I think what, you know, eight episodes and kind of this being the end it did is it made them really tight with the story. As you just mentioned, they were really 
um, focused on wrapping up different character arcs. There were a couple of little niggles um, here and there, which I um, would have maybe liked to, or which we maybe could dive into in a second, but I just think they just did such a, a fantastic job. And I think this is an interesting cop show because it is a procedural cop show and it is like there's no high techness to it. There's no, you know, special, you know, I don't know, superpowers and all that sort of stuff. This is literally an old school cop, you know, mm. you know, he's got a sign on his desk that's like, get up and go knock on doors. And Harry Bosch is the type of guy that you want on your murder case. Like he's he's old school, he's a badass, he definitely pushes the limits and it, it's just it's so gritty. And I think what episode sorry, what season seven does really well is it just actually balances that kind of fine line of the story's actually moving at quite a fast pace. There's some pretty um, short but intense bursts of action and activity, but mm. all the all the way along, you're just like completely hooked in. Yeah, I think that that sort of that slow burn and that deep story, and it's kind of it's 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 quite quiet for want of a better word. The show, and what that means is is that when there is like a, I would say a rare action scene that scene feels even more intense because because it's not high action all the time and you're right this season did move along a little quicker and i think um that shocked me as well because i came in i often come into final seasons just with a just a, a trepidation and i've just it's just i've experienced it so often i know dan you, you've told me about your, your your game of thrones final season i would make the same argument which shows like Star Trek The Next Generation, you know, uh, there's many shows I could think of. And so this was just a real pleasant surprise. And so what that's done is it's it's made, it's given me an optimism for the spin-off that's, that's really, really high because, because it's ended so strongly, you feel that there's so much more in the tank. And the look on, you know, Titus Welliver, who plays who plays Bosch and, and plays him just at the, you know, he's just at the top of his game in this one. Uh, I... I just want to see what he's going to do next right now. And I know, I know we're going to have to wait the better part of a year to, to find out, but um, I can't wait. I think the other thing that the show does that not a lot of other shows, a lot of other shows do this, but they don't do it as well as Bosch does is they've made a show that may be called Bosch, but there's so many characters I care about in this TV show. I care about um, Lieutenant Bullets. I care about, um, Captain Irvine. I care. I care about um, Jerry Edgar. I care about like uh, Detective Moore. And uh, yep. there's just so I, I I care about Honey Chandler, and I I want to know what's happening with all of these characters at all times. So it never felt to me, particularly in the season when I was watching it, that I was like, oh, hurry up and give it to Bosch. Like any one of them was kind of the main character on any episode, and and that's, it was such an enjoyable watch for that reason. Yeah, it's a really interesting point because I often have a, an issue with the title of TV shows or, or movies that, that f seem to focus in on one on the name of one person. The classic example always being uh, Solo, the, the Star Wars movie. I just feel like th there was so much more to that movie than Solo and the same is true here, as you've just said, with with, with Bosch, you know, what's going on with, with Billets, what's going on with Edgar, what's going on with Irving. Um, there's, there's so many characters and so many different moving parts even the smaller characters like crate and barrel just always such great value um the cast amy aquino jamie hector madison lintz lance reddick lance reddick actually 
he continues to be able to look at the side of his eyes and hold the stare in the most intimidating of ways. He's he's great. I kind of felt bad that his his character story went a bit bad, but um, yeah, just a, a lot of great stuff in here. It's funny because I the character I felt bad for this season was actually Jerry. So um, I felt mm. like there was a real hard turn for me with Jerry because I think what Jerry's always been for me is he's always been the like like the the yin to the yang of of Bosch, and he's always kind of been there for him. He's kind of he's such a stand up guy, and he's had some sort of like you know wobbles every now and again. But I felt like they really turned the dial in such a different direction for me this season. It made me like, oh god, this isn't what Jerry's normally like. He he really kind of went into a rut and went into a dark place, and like he turned that around. But it was a lot to deal with for a character that's been so um, steady. Throughout the last um, six seasons, oh, that's a really good call, and I, I feel the same way. I, I guess because we knew, because we we said back on the news desk of, like, six months ago that the that this this Bosch spinoff had been announced, and we knew that obviously Bosch would be part of that. But beyond that, we didn't, we don't know the outcome for the other characters. And so I felt the way um, Edgar's story was going. I thought Jerry, I, I felt like they're going to kill him off. You know, he, he's either going to sacrifice himself or he's going to, or he's going to get, uh, I don't know. Like there was a moment where I actually wondered what he was going to do. He seemed so down in life. And so, um, it was, it was a hard turn with, with him. You're absolutely right. On the, on the subject of characters and, uh, you know, the spinoff, I have, I do wonder if my one underlying, concern as much as i'm as excited about a spinoff will it be as good without as what you've just described there all of that support cast you know without the setting of 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 um hollywood homicide police office which is being you know um decommissioned um and that narrative of of detective bosch solving cases as a police officer and i i was thinking just uh earlier this week about examples i could compare it with and all I, there's not many but Examples where a character has left a show and has had a spin-off. Sometimes the spin-off can be just as strong. And I'm thinking like Frasier with Cheers uh, and Picard with The Next Generation. But sometimes, and I, the only examples I could think of was was Joey after Friends or <laughs> David Brent on the road after The Office. I It's a, it's a poor example, but I'm curious as to how... Uh, the character of Bosch will go without that familiar surrounding and all those people that sort of made it good in that office. It's a, it's interesting you say that, isn't it? Because, you know, so obviously, and this is a, a deep spoiler if you're still listening at this point to Bosch. So um, Bosch's daughter, and I actually really love the relationship that um, Bosch and, and Maddie have. Um, it's, it seems like such a, a loving, caring relationship and they kind of look out for each other and um, it seems really genuine. And so she's sort of going down the path of going into law, but, you know, makes the call at the end to actually submit her papers to join the police force. And then you've got Bosch who's you know, leaving the police force and goes into basically be a, a private detective. Um, and, you know, you could tell that, you know, Bosch is not overly stoked about his daughter going down this sort of um, pathway. And I think there's going to be a real fine line for them to manage, right? Because Maddie is always kind of been this independent character who's kind of had to grow up kind of a little bit on her own. Mm. And I think Bosch is going to want to be overbearing and protective. And there's probably going to be, they're probably going to cross paths in the way that they kind of operate in various sort of cases and stuff. And it's, 
it's interesting, right? Because is this a story about Bosch or is it going to be a story about Maddie? And or is it both? And there's mm. there's different sort of threads there to pull. It is interesting, and the 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 story turning into a private detective story is actually really appealing as well. Because when I think I was talking a few podcasts back about a show called CB Strike, a private detective, and obviously you know Elementary Sherlock, all of those. That I always enjoy that sort of investigative work and they don't have to play by the rules of, of the laws as much you know they're not sort of um held to those things so it will be interesting to see and i think you're right i think there will be a story for both of those characters i i i, I think harry bosch will be the the driving force but i feel like maddie maddie bosch her role is, is going to get pumped up because i understand there's only three characters coming through from bosch into that series whether there's cameos from others I don't know, but um, but hey, look for this series, this season. Sorry, there's just so much here. It's the realness of this story, and obviously, I have no idea what is really real. But in terms of the characters, the plot, the feasibility, the way it's being told, not trying to dramatize things, it it has everything. And in addition to that, my one final time I can talk about it. Final shout out to those opening credits, both in terms of that amazing theme song, which. Harry Bosch quotes the lyrics from that song in part of his final monologue, which I thought was incredible. And uh, the the visuals of the the simple mirror effect of the of the cityscape um, it's really mesmerising. It's a it's a great design. It's fantastic. My uh, one other thought about Bosch this season is when I was watching the early episodes, I was like, oh, it's so strange that they haven't mentioned COVID, like, because this is such a, yeah. a real life TV show. And the whole way through, I was like, oh, that's kind of like a, a weird thing for them to kind of gloss over. And I actually like the way near the sort of might have been the last episode or just before where there's um I think it's Maddie looking at the news and that's got a news flash about the first case of COVID coming out of Wuhan and uh, I thought oh actually it's cool that they've acknowledged it and they didn't just sort of like skip over it because it would have had such a a big impact on a character like Bosch so yeah interesting stuff yeah no they, they played that really well and it sets us up in terms of timings, we know where we are, where where that season is going to be starting, or series is going to be starting, I guess. But um, yeah, look, I I give this all the guns akimbo. In fact, Dan, I will go as far as saying that I think I think Bosch is my favourite US cop drama of all time. Oof. I put it ahead of my other top shows, even classics like Columbo or Magnum PI or Miami Vice. This is quintessentially the best US police drama for me. And that's how high I'm going to stick my rating up there. Wow. Well, that's a, that's a bold call. Um, I don't know if I can follow that, but I definitely thought this season was definitely all the guns. Um, I think the thing with Bosch is – it's a little bit of an acquired taste, I think. And it's like almost kind of like a bit of a, a whiskey or something, right? Like it's not for everyone, but once you kind of get into it, it's so, so good. Um, and I don't even drink whiskey, so I'm That's a great analogy. Cases. So, so I think, yes, for it, like in the type of genre, it, you know, I, I was getting a hard time the other day for always saying this, but this is a, a top tier uh, cop TV show. Top tier. It's kind of like half measures, you know, the more you get into it, yeah. It was actually, it was one of our Patreon producers said, you say top tier way too much. And well, 
you've got to take that feedback on board, Dan. We all have our meetings with the producers. I know I've had feedback. Indeed, indeed. Now, get into it, people. Uh, Bosch, season seven. Uh, if you haven't watched any Bosch, you're in for a treat. Uh, but just do be aware that it, it, this is a, a slow burn, but gr- high quality TV show. 100%. All right. Shall we uh, move on over to the movie of the week? Indeed. So each week, Dan and I take it in turns to choose a movie uh, to watch and review. We post that movie a week in advance in our Discord community. You can uh, join that community by clicking on the link in the show notes and then see what movie we're going to be watching so that by the time you get this podcast, you'll be able to enjoy, hopefully, the review along with us. Dan, what did we watch this week? This week, we watched the new Amazon Prime movie, The Tomorrow War, starring uh, Chris Pratt and everyone's favourite um, Serena Williams from uh, The Handmaid's Tale, uh, Yvonne Stravhosky. I was I was really glad that you were going to go with the surname because I, I looked at that and I couldn't quite pronounce it. Um, yeah, so so we've got a sci-fi action adventure movie here. The the basic premise being that a family. Oh, sorry, go- I just I just said Serena Williams, like the tennis player, not Serena Waterford. Like, what's wrong with me? What? A, <laughs> what? A, sorry, I've completely cut you off mid conversation because I'm an idiot. But sorry, go, please go back to the description. <laughs> I didn't even spot it. That's how that's how good it, it just went straight over my head. Amazing. So yeah, so Chris Pat. <laughs> Serena Williams. I'm now imagining Serena Williams in the in the in the the Hermes Tale. Let's not go there. A family man is drafted uh, to fight in a future war where the fate of humanity relies on his ability to confront the past. Um, I felt like that that synopsis, having watched this movie, obviously feels a little more grand than actually what played out on screen because what played out on screen was absolutely brilliant popcorn the most popcorn of popcorn movies i've seen in a long time i absolutely loved it this for me was like a a modern day take on starship troopers and um uh, district nine with a bit of alien in there as well i was all over this dan what about you um i'm gonna say something i feel like i again say pretty regularly on the pod I kind of like the thing for me with this movie is that, yes, this is a, a popcorn movie. Yes, it's got a like a uh, an action packed cast. I kind of like. I think my my biggest challenge with this movie is it was kind of these quite intense storylines crammed together in a pre- like in in a way that didn't necessarily work all that well and I think this would have been great for me as a six-part series or something and I don't know just to kind of like break it up and I feel like there was and I I feel really torn in saying this because this movie is a popcorn movie but I feel like there was a lot of pressure put on Chris Pratt to kind of like show this emotional connection to his daughter and future daughter and all of that type of stuff and I just don't know whether he had the skills to pull all of that off and but at the same time it didn't really matter and it was a lot of fun and it was stupid but it was fun and I I guess I had a good time but I definitely looked at my watch a few times. Oh, see, we're, we're so out of sync once again. Uh, you're, you're so wrong. and I love it when you're wrong because Chris Pratt is so perfectly cast in this movie because 
because of all the things you just said, he can do action. He can he can throw in humor. He's relatable to be that 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 family man with the daughter, and you know he's really beefed up right of late. So he's really he's ticking a lot of boxes for action popcorn type movie stuff. And um, yeah, I look there are about a hundred plot holes in this movie, and frankly Dan I could not give a shit about any of them because I just I just loved the whole action horror sci-fi vibe some brilliant comedy in the most like moments where there shouldn't be any comedy whatsoever like the guy who was getting the the uh the gun he couldn't load the gun wrong and he's just like uh oh uh oh and it's I can't do it justice on a podcast you need to go watch it but um I feel like I I was just looking at the time. This movie was two hours, 20 minutes. And I I often sit here on this podcast and say, oh, I didn't need it to be that long. In this movie, I was like, it just felt absolutely right. And even at the end, I wasn't thinking, oh, come on, wind it up. I was invested all the way to the end. Well, what we're talking about problems then. Um, <laughs> the other challenge I had with this movie is um, Yvonne Strahovski, who plays uh, Colonel Murray Foster, is I could not get out of my head that you are Serena Waterford. And I feel like she was like, in my mind, like you are so typecast now as Serena Waterford. And I couldn't, I couldn't break away from that silo. And I couldn't help but think that like, you're not a nice person, but you know, in this, she actually is a nice person, but she's just that, that Waterford look is just so ingrained. And I don't know whether it's just because we've just come off watching the latest season of Handmaid's Tale, but I, you know, she's been in lots of great stuff, but I just, I couldn't, I couldn't separate the two from it, the two characters. Yeah, we have, we have watched that just recently. And uh, I think that I, I get that why, you know, it may have played a, a part in it. I think her look, you know, how she has her hair pulled right back as Waterford was very similar, how she played the part of, of the Colonel. So maybe that was, but I thought she was, I actually haven't seen her in, in anything other than handmade. So I, uh, this was the first time I've seen her away from that. I thought she was, I thought she was okay. Actually. I thought she was particularly good at opposite Chris Pratt. Um, in those scenes, um, someone else who stood out for me and this was, uh, JK Simmons. He, he was real good as, as, as the, as the badass dad. And he had a little bit of a, yeah, she had a bit of a Bosch vibe mixed with a bit of a gi joe or, or i don't know but he was he was so good in this role it wasn't someone i would have expected to see play that role and he he, he was good i yeah i thought he was a fun character it actually made me think we need to do a peak performance on jk simmons mm. if we haven't done one already because he's he's been in so much great stuff um it actually just reminded me of this like like <laughs> there's all these just like big mega scenes in this movie right like the big scene in the snow at the end where it's just it kind of just like went on and on and on of this kind of like like the hobbits started it was, it was just like oh is it over is it done no it's not done um yeah look it, I, i'm probably being overly harsh on it like i did have a lot of fun watching this um i did laugh at all the, the stupid jokes and stuff in it I believe they're actually making a, a follow-up movie, so we, we're going to be getting more of this universe. Um, I'm a big fan of Chris Pratt, generally, like, loved him in Parks and Recreation, loved him in Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, so I'm probably being overly critical of this for what it was, but, it, yeah, I guess there, there, there were some things that kind of didn't sit as well with me. No, I think your review is probably fair because looking at the the ratings and the reviews it's got, it sort of seems it's sort of sitting around that sort of 6 out of 10, 7 out of 10 mark and I'm rating it a bit higher. 
popularity wise it is sitting as a number one movie in terms of imdb's ratings but ratings wise it's it's fallen down and like i can understand why it has because i i i could never place this movie in the same um i wouldn't say it's got a b grade vibe but the plot holes in the writing the comedy that's in there means that i could never consider holding this in the same league league as as alien and so on it doesn't mean i enjoyed it any less it's uh, in fact the humor and the ridiculousness was part of the enjoyment i got out of it when i classified it as that popcorn movie um those aliens by the way were very reminiscent i thought of the the red alien that featured in the jj abrams star trek movie and interestingly i took a look at the producers of this movies and those producers worked on that film they also worked on the chris nolan uh, that night trilogy there's a lot of if you look at all the producers the writers the director all the stuff they've done has sort of led them to be uh, quite well suited for this type of genre i am surprised though that they're making a sequel because when you said that there was one coming up both Diana and I, when we were watching it, were quite re- relieved to see the big bad alien get completely blown away. Like, there's no chance it's coming back. There's no sequel. I don't need a sequel to this movie. So that's interesting that there's one coming. I um, While you were talking, it made me think of one one final gripe I need to bring up with this movie. Um, so basically, people from the future arrive on Earth and they're like, you've got to come and help us. We're going to all be wiped out. It's not going to matter. So the world is like, yep, let's do it. Let's send. We're sending everybody. You know, we're sending hundreds of people every week. We're having a worldwide draft. Finally, Chris Pratt gets back to Earth because he's done his little tour and he's talking to um, the, the senator or whoever that guy was. And he's like, we've got to go to Russia. And he's like, hmm. I don't know if I'm going to be able to get that approved. Like, I don't know what the budget looks like. And it's like, come on, bro. Like, you guys are literally sending people to save humanity. Someone comes up with some actual information and you're like, don't know if I can get that signed off, mate. You know, try oh. another way. Like, it's just, it was the most, like, craziest, like, little plot point that it kind of infuriated me at the time. It's one of literally 100 plot plot holes. Um, and, I mean, I'll add to that at the end when they do discover the aliens in Russia, deep beneath the snow. Lucky that they found it, you know, they knew exactly where to dig, right? I mean, again, crazy. But then when they found it, rather than thinking, okay, here they are, let's blow them up. They think, no, let's let's start poking them and injecting them. Whereas really, they needed to do what they did in the end, which was just to blow the whole thing up. And, um, oh, I wrote it, I wrote it all off. I was having, I was having too much fun with this one. I think, um, I think it's a, it's a, I would say two and a half to three guns for me on this one. Uh, I'll go three and a half guns on the on the basis of the genre that it is. This is not, you know, this is this is not Shakespeare. This, All this, right. yeah. I'll let you have it. I'll let you. All have right, it. I appreciate it. Oh well, yeah. Make sure you uh, come and join our Discord channel so you can find out what these movies of the week are and uh, listen along with us once you've watched it. Do you want to take us over to your news desk, Dan? All right, a little little bit of stuff on the news desk today. So first of all, some sad news. So Richard Donner, who um, you probably best know for movies like Superman, Lethal Weapon, The Goonies, uh, has unfortunately passed away. He was, however, a 91, so uh, a very good innings, but brought us some amazing movies uh, over the years. And I think, you know, Superman, one of the greatest movies you know of our time oh 
look, he, I just can't say enough about this guy. This, I've talked before in other episodes, the Superman movie, the second Superman movie as well, that he did both just were for me as a kid, just the, you know, obviously Star Wars is my thing, but Superman was just the most watched movie, I think, as a kid. And, you know, the, the poster I shall have downstairs says, you'll believe a man can fly. And that's that's it. Richard Donner, he made me believe a man can fly. It was just, it was just sensational. And I'm so glad he got to live such a long life. Indeed. Uh, next bit of news is a little bit of news around the book of Boba Fett. And so there, Timura Morrison's recently come out and he said that the Book of Boba Fett is going to be grittier than The Mandalorian. He's also revealed a couple of the directors that have now been named to direct various episodes. So obviously we've got John Favreau, who's a you know a legend in this universe. We've got uh, Bryce Dallas Howard. We've got Dave Filoni. Uh, we've got Robert Rodriguez. Like these 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 guys, they don't muck around. They they know what's up. And I think just the whole Robert Rodriguez, Book of Boba Fett, say no more. Like every episode we had of Boba Fett and The Mandalorian was so gritty and dark and I think what we wanted. And I can't wait to see more of that. And the fact that it's coming out in December this year, colour me excited, Paul. I'm hyped. Oh, absolutely. I I know we're setting it up for failure, but I just don't know how this movie, so this series can possibly disappoint. It's just got all the ingredients. All the ingredients. Uh, you may remember a few episodes back now, I talked about a, a TV show on Neon here in New Zealand or on HBO around the world uh, called Lovecraft Country and uh, gave it some rave reviews. I was looking forward to season two. Unfortunately, there will be no season two. It is going to be – it's been cancelled. So um, they – had spent a bit of time sort of working on what season two could look like. Uh, it was apparently going to be quite zombie focused and they had quite a sort of interesting, um, I guess, plot mechanic where America, like the last season one was sort of set in the fifties, um, dealt with a lot of the sort of Jim Crow era stuff and racism. And, and this new season was going to sort of focus on America split up into these sort of five different areas. And there's this area called, which I think they were calling it the white zone. It was going to be overrun with a variety of slow moving and fast moving zombies and sounded really interesting. Loved what they did for season one, but unfortunately not to be, which is a sad time. That is a shame. Um, we've got AMC, Paul, our friends who uh, produce The Walking Dead, Fear the Walking Dead, and a few other of our, our favourite shows. They are, they've got another spin-off in the works from Fear the Walking Dead based on the submarine that we saw in the last season. So uh, the USS uh, Pennsylvania, they are looking at doing a, a prequel that kind of connects that, that together. So apparently they've got... Uh, a bunch of episodes um, that, or they think they've got a story to tell that basically, like, what happened to all that submarine and how did it get to here and, and, what, and what the story is. So it's still um, kind of in the early days, but according to um, my news reports, they're a little bit further along and they're confident they've got a, something good here in the making. That's unbelievable. Dead in the Water. Wow, a digital series. I'm really excited we loved that episode about the submarine so why would we not want to go back there for a few episodes amazing 
Indeed, indeed. Um, there is uh, a confirmation now, Paul, as big Yellowstone fans that season four will be coming this year. We've had a, a very sort of brief teaser trailer um, been dropped and so they've confirmed that it's going to be a full 2021 release and so I don't know what fall is but in when I google that that is sort of September to December um, range around the world so I guess fall in America <clears throat> we don't call it that here in, in New Zealand no it's also it's, it's spring for us as well yeah, it's gonna be great right. great to have that leading into summer I, I guess it makes sense though fall like the yeah anyway <laughs> Okay. Been, has been validated by half measures now. Oh, I'm, I'm taking a Santa path. Uh, and then uh, two final bits of news. So Zack Snyder is working on uh, his next project, and it's a it's a movie which I think is going to be called Rebel Moon, and it's going to be a, a Netflix excuse, exclusive, and it's basically going to be about a um, a planet sort of on the, the furthest reaches of the, um, the solar system. And I think basically what happens is there's going to be some um, warring planets and somebody from those planets has to go and get some soldiers from other planets. And it sounds like a very Zack Snyder-esque big action, um, big sort of story, but that's um, apparently what his next project is going to be, which is going to be interesting. And... My final bit of news, if you don't know already, um, as Seinfeld fans here at the Half Measures podcast, there is an official Seinfeld Lego set coming out. So um, if you're a fan of the Lego, which we definitely are, you may want to keep an eye on that. It's coming out in early August, I believe. And it's it's the classic scene of Jerry's apartment. The gang's all there, even Newman. Newman. I love it. And it's, it's a real good... A real good price as well. So um, there'll be a set in this house for sure. Great stuff. Anything on your news desk, Paul? Uh, yeah, so a couple of things from me this week. I was quite excited to see the 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 teaser trailer that came out for Transformers War for Cybertron uh, Kingdom, the, the third and final chapter of the animated show that we've been watching and enjoying the, the, the previous two. It looks... It looks very different. You know, we've got the dinosaurs there, the Predacons. So that looks quite exciting. So if you're a fan of the first two parts, um, go check that one out. Um, what else have I got here? So a couple of things you already touched on. I saw uh, the the Many Saints of Newark uh, trailer, the, the the prequel that we talked about uh, last time. Um, just amazing, just the, the, the amount of social media hype that, that has, has got. It's now being ranked as the most anticipated movie. Um, and so, yeah, quite excited about that. Um, it's coming out in theaters. Uh, the Star Wars series, The Acolyte, that one um, has been revealed that The Phantom Menace is a big influence on that show, which uh, The Phantom Menace for you and I as prequel fans is, I think that's a, that's a great sign, something that sort of um, has that flavor about it. I'm really excited about that. Uh, and then the other thing, another little, um, I guess, you know, attraction for Apple TV for me is a new new show uh, on there that's coming out in September. The trailer's come out for Foundation um, about a, a group of humans scattered on planets throughout the galaxy, all living under the rule of the Galactic Empire, uh, starring Jared Harris, who is always good value. So that was... 
Yeah, that was quite a a good looking trailer. So that's now what five shows on Apple TV. I think you're right, Dan. It might be time for me to make the make the switch for that. Blessed be the fruit ball. You can do it. It's worth it for the good content. Okay. Okay. Um, that's all I've got. I'll take us over to our mailbag, Dan. Uh, so earlier this week, news broke on LinkedIn.com of a, a company listing for Half Measures podcast, and we've had a terrific response with lots of people checking out our page and heaps of people following us on LinkedIn. Uh, we've also had a couple of listeners already get in touch about it. They've, they've heard about it. Uh, Bruce, Bruce Gray, uh, who was the first person to ever get in touch with the podcast, um, he asked, will there be any job opportunities for a Scott with a never-ending love of New Zealand and films and TV? And also from Michael uh, in North Carolina, wondering if, since he claims he already provides most of the news in our Discord channel, that's pretty true, um, if he will be on the payroll soon. Um, Dan, as Chief Operating Officer, any response to Bruce or Michael there? Look, there's always opportunities for uh, loyal half measures fans. Um, as soon as uh, we get paid, you get paid. You know, it's a, it's a flow down, flow down system. Yeah, as soon as the social media manager gets paid, <laughs> that would be for sure. Um, Frank Todaro, who plays uh, Starscream in Transformers War for uh, Cybertron, he also shared our news. And since he provides the voice introduction uh, of Starscream for our podcast each week, I guess we should probably get him on the company books as well. I can't wait for the Half Measures Christmas party this year. It's going to be a banger. <laughs> it really is. Um, anyway, you can now find us on uh, LinkedIn by searching Half Measures and then click follow to get all the company updates. Uh, other than that, then, we talked, uh, I mentioned in my intro, uh, the we've seen quite a few Fast and Furious memes this week about family. Um, we got sent an awesome one from Nat Newton here in Wellington just this afternoon. In fact, that also incorporated the Sopranos, which I thought was real, real topical. It does seem that family is stronger than anything. And perhaps I feel like we should have been listening to, to Dom and to you and to all these other Fast and Furious family members a long time ago. But yeah, thanks for the people that have sent them through to us today and this week. Geek Girl Review from Australia, who's been in touch with us a few times. She liked our review of Rick and Morty, uh, commented that both she and her son are loving the show. I think she means Rick and Morty and not us, but she didn't specify which show, so maybe she means both. Who knows? Uh, Karen Harris from Wellington wrote in to say that she's listened to another episode. She's loving our perspectives on TV shows. Thank you, Karen. She also added that she's looking forward to seeing how our ongoing Nick versus Luke debate in Handmaid's Tale goes as the trauma changes. So look forward to season five. And finally, last week's peak performance for... Sylvester Stallone, uh, Guy Dudlington from Mississippi gave us his three, two, one on Facebook. Uh, he went with Ants, the uh, the animated movie, the fourth Rambo movie, and Rocky. Uh, Bruce Gray, who we talked about just before, uh, he said, and I like this. Uh, surely, in honor of Euro twenty twenty, it has to be Sylvester Stallone's uh, phenomenal performance and barehanded penalty save for the Allies against the Nazis in Escape to Victory. I feel sick that I didn't think about this movie, and it, it really should have been in my three, two, one. So, a great shout from Bruce. And last but not least, Paddy Fox from County Kerry. He, he well, actually, he also added in some 
not safe for work commentary and to Bruce's selection of a skeptic victory on the Facebook as well. But he also gave us his, his three, two, one of Tango and Cash, the first Rambo movie and Rocky Balboa. And that's the mailbag this week, Dan. Great choices, everyone. We love it when you write in. So make sure you uh, get in touch, be part of the mailbag. All right. So it must be time for our peak performances. Yeah, so just like movie of the week, Dan and I take it in turns each week to choose either an actor, director, or producer, someone that we want to uh, focus in on and choose the top three movies or roles that they've been involved in. This week was my choice. And Dan, I went, I, I put us back in the director's chair this week and I gave us James Mangold. This is a, a awesome choice, Paul. And to be honest with you, Look, we say this all the time. He's got an awesome back catalogue of movies. And, you know, it always sort of makes choosing your your 321 a bit of a challenge. Um, But I've managed to narrow it down. So number three for me is 310 to Yuma. So stars Russell Crowe and Christian Bale. This to me is kind of like not their last, but like, you know, a really awesome throwback to a bit of a classic Western, a movie that I haven't seen for a long time, probably need to remedy that, but it's just a, some fantastic acting, fantastic slow born, slow sort of burn, love me some good cowboy action. Um, it's, it's a great movie. Number two, I'm going to go with Ford versus Ferrari, a movie that I um, watched, it was I think, you know, probably a dozen or so episodes ago. Absolutely love this movie. Came into it thinking, am I going to be, is this going to be a movie for me about sort of Ford versus Ferrari? Um, obviously another great cast, Matt Damon, Christian Bale again, uh, John Bernthal. And I just absolutely love this movie from start to finish. It gripped me straight away. It was exciting. It was emotional. It was a fantastic story. It, you know, it made me hyper interested. And... Number one for me is I'm actually going to go with the 2017 movie Logan. So this is sort of the the final hurrah, I guess, of Wolverine and the like. Well, I guess Hugh Jackman's Wolverine in the um, Marvel X Men universe. And I did something really special with this movie, which I think is why it still holds such a special place in my heart. Is I watched no trailers before going to watch this at the movie theatre and the whole movie was a complete surprise to me and I was going bananas in that theatre pool like I I loved it I loved that we had um just so so many like it's a fantastic cast we brought in some of the extra characters um uh Daphne Keane as Laura as um X23 Honestly, it was it was such a, a fun watch, and I think we've had so many, to be honest, pretty subpar X Men movies and definitely terrible Wolverine movies. This was, I think, the the R rated X Men experience that I definitely wanted, and this movie again overdue for a watch is just so good. A few things I want to say back to that. Firstly, I I need to go see. Um, uh, Ford versus Ferrari, Christian Bale, Matt Logan, uh, Matt Matt Damon, John Bernthal. I mean, there's, there's so many reasons why I would enjoy that. Uh, secondly, um, the Wolverine, the second one, that was that was pretty good. I thought. I don't think that was so bad, but um, 
but that's a, that's a conversation for another day. That's a conversation for another day. You, you, you're personally slighted by this. Yeah, 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 I am. Uh, and and thirdly, your ability to not watch the trailer and go and see the movie. One of our listeners, uh, Mike from Pamson North, uh, has has mentioned before that this is something he does for all movies. He doesn't watch any any trailers, and he he stands by that. And I think the impact that he gets going into the cinema. Could you imagine going in to the Force Awakens, or or I don't know, just and not have seen anything? I I admire the discipline. I don't think I could do it for everything because I get so much enjoyment out of the trailer experience. But I think once in a while, it's quite good to do that. It's tough, isn't it? Because I think you know you take a movie like The Force Awakens, and the problem is like I obviously love the trailer and I love the Star Wars universe but then what I'm finding myself doing is oh we haven't had the scene where Ray does this or the ship flies in like when is that coming and I'm always sort of like overanalyzing when different things are going to happen so I don't think I could do it for all movies but just a series of um, events led me to not watch the trailer and I had a fantastic experience in doing so indeed so uh, my 3214 James Mangold uh Number three for me is actually 2013's The Wolverine, uh, starring Hugh Jackman. Uh, the the movie that you, <laughs> you said it was pretty average. I was like, this for me, because the first one, Wolverine, was pretty average. But this this second one that James Mangold did, the the Wolverine, I, I've I really enjoyed the the setting, the the story. You know, the the whole fact. You know, in in Japan, I found that whole angle really quite fascinating. I got a lot out of this movie. I thought Hugh Jackman was really strong in this. Um, I think there's only one other movie he's been in in the X-Men that I would place above this. Um, and funnily enough, it's going to be on this list, and I'm sure you uh, will take no surprise uh, in knowing that it's in my list too. But that's my number three. It it just beat out Copland, which I reviewed last uh, I had as last week's Stallone's movie. Um, I think it's just a bit better. Number two, same as you, Dan. 2007's 310 to Yuma um, and this one you know because James Mangold quite often is is writer director this is one where he obviously it's a remake so he's purely director but this is my kind of western everything you said before um, I think just the, the the chemistry with Christian Bell and Russell Crowe Peter Fonda was great in this too I think of all the westerns in like the last 20 years or so this would easily be my in my top two or three easy um it's also one of Russell Crowe's best movies. Another person we should do a, a peak performance on, probably. But number one, as I hinted at before, just like you, 2017's Logan. It was, I did see the trailer for it, but it was even so, the movie going in, it was such an unexpected surprise. I thought it was such a, almost a brave angle to take on an, in, a, in an X-Men movie. Um, it really, it really paid off. Um, he was, you know, Mangold was writer-director in this and his, I feel like his treatment, just putting Hugh Jackman aside, I feel like his treatment of the older Charles Xavier and the way he handled that in this movie was just absolutely spot on. I thought it was brilliant. And it actually gives me a lot of hope in some respects for how he might be writing and directing our you know, older Indiana Jones that he's currently uh, filming. And it will be interesting to see if, you know, if that movie pushes its way into my... Uh, three, two, one. But for now, for James Mangold, it's uh, the Wolverine, three ten to Yuma, and Logan. Fantastic choices, Paul. Maybe I need to give the Wolverine another go. I've been maybe I've been too hard on it. 
to each their own. It, it, it's not scoring that highly. I've just noticed as I looked at it again. So um, maybe I was maybe I was just a little blinded. Who knows? But I I had a good time. That's all that matters. Well, Paul, that probably brings us to the end of another episode of the Half Measures podcast. Does indeed, and. Just a, a quick mention that next week Dan and I are going to do something uh, a little different than the regular podcast, just to mix it up once in a while. We're going to do we're going to do a deep dive next week into the two Alien prequel movies, uh, Prometheus and Alien Covenant. So if you're a fan of that franchise, if you have issues with those movies, you're definitely going to want to get amongst it because we do a real. I think we've got a real good uh, a real good podcast lined up for you next week. Indeed. Also, a special shout out to um, Patty and Trisha from Time Travelling Temp. Um, they have supported us in bringing this episode to you today. And a special shout out to our Patreon producers, um, Samara King and Trisha Brady. But until next week, everyone, adios.